1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying inside a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Josh Habman. I'm the executive pastor at Grace. Jason said he wanted to become one with nature and just left. It's not true. He is camping, but he will come back. This evening, we are continuing our series in 1 Peter, and uh, we are going to be in chapter 2 this week. So if you are following along, I encourage you to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Thank you, Jeff, for that long reading. Appreciate that. This series is called, Where is Your Hope? And the reason that uh, it's titled that is because Peter makes a point of saying that our hope ought to be in Christ, and that if our hope is not in Christ, that uh, we should... We should expect some trouble. That is indicated in chapter 2. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But we've talked for the last couple of weeks about how in chapter 1 there are lots of reasons why our hope should be in Christ. And so that is supposed to direct us to him. We see that in chapter 1. We see it multiple times. Christ saying, here I am, hope in me, holding himself out, holding out his work. And Peter calling that to our attention time and again, saying, we want... Uh, Peter saying to the people he's writing, I want you all to, to know this, to have this confidence that Christ can be your hope. And he talks about fear too, talking about this idea that fear at the very least should keep us from sin, not fear of condemnation, because if we have Christ Jesus, then there is no longer any condemnation, but just healthy fear for God and fear of the consequences of our sin. Even as believers, there are consequences for our sin. And so there are reasons to hope. There are reasons to fear. But if our goal, and one of the goals certainly that Peter describes in his letter is holiness, if our goal is holiness, 
What does that look like on a daily basis to live a holy life? That's a hard question. And so I want to try and address the ways uh, that Peter answers that question in chapter 2. Before we go any further, though, um, I'll put this up here. Before we go any further and I talk about what we're going to talk about in the sermon, I do want to take a minute this evening as we start and pray for people in Florida and in um, Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic and all kinds of places that have been ravaged by hurricanes. So let's do that, and then we'll get into First Peter. First Peter. God, thank you for being a God who sees and cares and who does not leave us stuck. Lord, there are many people who are literally stuck right now in, in clay and in uh, the aftermath of flooding and destruction and disaster, and they need to be physically rescued. And we know, Lord, that uh, that is on us to some degree, so show us how we can help. Lord, send resources. Pray for those who are already present. Lord, show your body that is present in Puerto Rico and in Florida and the Dominican and other places that have been destroyed by hurricanes recently. Lord, show your body how to care for and love and support those who are in need and show us how to do the same. Uh, Lord, whether it is sending money or sending ourselves, whatever you might call us to. We pray also, Lord, for their salvation. These people who are physically lost, Lord, let them come to you through this also. Let it be not uh, for no reason, but for the best reason, Lord, that they might know you. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I think that Peter is going to draw us into this conversation about holy living in a couple of ways. First, he's going to ask us a question. Just very simply, have you in fact tasted that the Lord is good? That's what all of chapter 1 is reminding us about, and he's going to give us a so and a therefore, and we're going to look back at chapter 1, and, uh, and we're going to ask that question. He's going to ask us, are we craving pure spiritual milk? I noticed that my, um, my points are all number one again. It happened this morning as well in North Liberty. All the points were number one. Just go with it. Just run with it. They're all the most important point. He's going to give us a commandment, not the kind of commandment that you're used to, not a thou shalt or a thou shalt not, but a commandment that is a confirmation of something that is true, that we can trust, that we can build on, and then a calling. So this is what I'm going to ask you to look for as we try to address this question of what does it mean to live holy lives, knowing that Christ is our hope, knowing that we ought to fear the consequences of our sin. There is this guide now for holiness. What does that look like? What does it mean to live a holy life? So what is this question? If you read verses 1 through 3, uh, it says, Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So that, that, is, a, that is a begged question. Peter says, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Is that true of you? Is this something that you would say about yourself, that you have tasted, you've seen that the Lord is good? Do you participate in communion when the church serves communion? Because that's the literal physical way that you can taste the Lord's goodness. Have you experienced in your life salvation? That's tasting that the Lord is good. So if you have, he says, elect exiles, right? He's writing to this group of believers that's scattered across Asia, these people who have been called, not unbelievers, but believers. He says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, then here's where holy living starts. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So in other words, even though the question comes afterward, this is kind of how we could read it. 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, then or so put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Remember, remember, God is good. Remember that God has done great things for you. So live a holy life with this God by getting rid of those things that are evil. And when I say to people, or when you say to yourself, if somebody says to you, get rid of the evil things in your life, your mind might quickly go to objects, right? Like, what evil things do I have in my house? Do I have a cursed toaster that I need to get rid of? Right? Do I have some evil books that I need to get rid of? Well, maybe. Maybe you have some objects in your house that lead you into temptation, right? Lots of us keep things in our house that we have no business keeping in our home. People who struggle with pornography, for example, right? People who struggle with all kinds of sins. Sometimes your house is the thing that tempts you to sin because you've made it an idol. So there are certainly evil uh, objects that we ascribe evil to, but that's not what Peter is talking about. He's talking about things that are in our hearts, right? You don't own malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You don't pick those up at Walmart. They're just in you because this is a fallen world. And he's saying, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, you can get rid of those things by the power of Christ's salvation. You can get rid of those things, not in order to be saved, but because you have been saved, you can get rid of these things. So this is how a holy life starts. The daily holy living starts by getting rid of the evil things that we used to cling to. And then he goes on. Peter says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. I know that there are families here who have new infants. I know that there are families here who will soon have new infants. Babies do this thing when they're born where they cry for food. It's a thing, right? Babies do it. They want food instinctually. This is how a newborn infant longs for food, by instinct. You don't have to tell a baby. You don't have to sit down with your baby and schedule out feeding times. It would be nice, right, moms, if you could sit down with your baby and schedule out feeding times and say, we're going to do it at this time. Babies don't do that. They just want to eat. And you likewise should want Christ. You should crave Christ. Like a newborn baby craves milk. Like a newborn baby doesn't have to be taught how to eat, but just knows from birth, right? We should crave this. So we start with holy living by repenting of what we've done, but then we have to fill in that gap with good things from the Lord. Because when we put away malice and when we put away anger and jealousy and rage and all of those things, right, there is and emptiness there, because we're used to doing those things. We're used to living that way. And so Peter says, don't live in emptiness. Crave Christ. Long for pure spiritual milk. Fill yourself up with that food. How many of you have seen a teenage boy look into a refrigerator? It's like that, right? Craving, hungering, longing. Long for pure spiritual milk. Long for the word. And notice I've highlighted this difference between training and trying. It's something that Brooks said a couple weeks ago. It's not just about trying harder. If you just look at this, approach this as, well, I just have to try harder to put malice away and try harder to bring some love for God in. No, it won't work. You'll fail. You'll be miserable. Don't do it. But do train with fellow believers, with all of the people here, all of your brothers and sisters. Do come alongside of one another and say to each other, I am lacking and I want to hunger for God's pure spiritual milk, so help me. Let's spend time in the Word together. Let's just 
text each other this week two or three times and ask, what can I pray about for you this week? How can I love you this week? Even if it's just to tell you that I love you this week. But this is what we need to long for so that we can grow up into salvation. Because God does not want us, Christ does not want us to stay in the place where he found us. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to change for his glory. Not so that we can look holy like some world standard of holiness, but so that we can look like the children that he designed us to be. So this is what he's leading us into for holiness. And then he gives us commandment. For it stands in Scripture, this is from Isaiah 28, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Again, this is not a thou shalt not commandment. This is a, an establishment. This is a law that God puts in place in this universe and says, if you trust in Christ, you will not be put to shame. We're not talking about embarrassment, right? We're talking about eternal salvation. By not, be putting, uh, not being put to shame here, we're talking about having a, a faith in an everlasting life with Christ forever. So when I tell you that Peter is offering us hope, not just in getting rid of awful stuff, not just in bringing in good things, understand that it's built on this, a foundation that's everlasting, eternal. Christ as the cornerstone. Christ established by God in his place for our good, and for his glory. So, to what end? Is Christ our cornerstone? Here's what Peter says. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, that's who Jesus is, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's why he has been given to us Yes, so that we can have hope, but also so that we can fulfill this purpose. And he's beginning to play that out. He's beginning to explain what that purpose and that calling is. How many of you are good with the idea of craving like a baby, but living stones is kind of hard as an analogy? Anybody struggling with living stones? Yeah, that's a hard one, right? Because we don't think of ourselves as stones. We don't think of ourselves as living or dead stones. But the reason that he uses this analogy is because The house of God is where the Spirit of God dwells. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us now if we believe in the Lord Jesus. And so there is no more temple. People don't go to a temple in Jerusalem to worship the Lord. But we can, as believers, be built into a house where the worship of God takes place every day. And so this idea that we are living stones, that he wants to build us up into a house for his praise and for his glory, that's why we do this. That's what's supposed to motivate us, that we can together be a house for the Holy Spirit, that we can together proclaim Christ, a holy priesthood. I'm going to talk about that more because Peter talks about it more. But it requires submission. I said earlier that this is not about trying, but by training. And it's only by training that we can get to the place where we're willing to submit to the Lord. We're willing to say, God, you build me up into this house, not... I try, and I try, and I try, and maybe I get it right sometimes, and maybe I don't other times. No, he is building us up. So we long for the pure spiritual milk. That's something that we do. We are obviously and intentionally seeking after the things of God so that we can be filled with them. But then he's going to use us if we submit ourselves to him. 
to be his house, to be his people. All of this is for people who believe, but Peter is also going to address the people who may not believe. Some people hear that the Lord is good and they reject him. And Peter says in 2.7, he says, The honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's from Psalms. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense from Isaiah again. Those who don't believe stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. If you don't believe tonight, if you are here and you don't believe, expect to stumble. It's going to be difficult. Life is going to be harder than it would be if you believed. It will still be hard if you believe. But you have Christ as your cornerstone, as your foundation, if you believe. If you believe, you can, because you've been saved, put away malice and anger and envy. If you believe, you can crave pure spiritual milk and it will grow you up in your salvation. But if you disbelieve, expect to stumble because you'll be disobedient. And that's, that's a hard word. But understand that salvation is free. So if you don't want to stumble, the gift is free. Believe and receive Christ. You can tonight. And if you don't know anything about that and you want to know more about that, talk to me or talk to Bo or talk to Jeff or talk to any of the other people who are helping here at Grace. So maybe you do believe and you're just thinking, you know, this holy living thing sounds hard. I don't really want to do that. I'd rather just go out to dinner tonight and go to bed. So Peter has some words for us. He says, you are called. You are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. This kind of seems like a strange inclusion here in 1 Peter. Peter starts talking about priesthood. I read it a few verses back. Now he doubles down on this idea of a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Maybe if you know something about the Old Testament, this makes sense a little bit. But I want to point out these three verses from Exodus and then two from Revelation because Understand, this calling that Peter is talking about, it is not just for Jewish believers. It is for all of you here. It is for all of us here. And it is representative of a plan that God has had in place for thousands of years. So when Peter brings this up, this is not a new thing. He is reminding them of something that's been true for millennia. So I'm going to go back to Exodus 19. And I'm going to read these verses for you. And then uh, I'm going to go into Revelation and read those verses for you. So if you want to follow along, you can. But Exodus 19 is when Israel has left Egypt and they're at Sinai and they have not yet received the law. Okay, so God has not done the thing yet where he gives them the Ten Commandments and he writes them on stone and Moses carries them down the mountain. That hasn't happened yet. But this is the word that God speaks to Moses in Exodus chapter 19 in verse 5. He says, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he says, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Immediately upon Israel leaving Egypt, immediately upon them being called a people, God says, 
I want you not just to be a people, but to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests set apart for this purpose that you would proclaim me to all of the world. That's what I want you to do. That's who I want you to be. So yes, it was about leaving Egypt. It was about going to Canaan, but that was not it. That was not the extent of it. He wanted them to be a people who proclaimed his goodness and his truth. And we know that it's not just the Jewish people. Turn over to Revelation. I told you I was going to read a couple of verses here in chapter 1 and then in chapter 5. In chapter 1, starting in verse 4, John introduces his letter. He says, To the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Remember that Jesus is the ruler of kings. We'll get back to that in a minute. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And if that wasn't clear enough in chapter 5, listen to the song that is sung in verse 9 and 10. This is a song sung to Jesus in praise. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So the reason that Peter is big on this idea is because Scripture is, because the Lord revealed it to Moses, and the Lord revealed it to John, and the Lord revealed it to Peter, that people are not just called to get together and hang out and have fun. You should. That's a part of the Christian life. You should get together and hang out and have fun. But also, know that you should be proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his glorious light. That he wants you to be a people for this purpose. That you would spread his word. That you would tell everybody that you meet that God is real and good and that he saved you. So he wants you to be this. And so if you've believed in Jesus, know this, that you are chosen royal priests, a holy nation with a heavenly purpose, the purpose of heaven. This should magnify your hope. So if you've tasted that the Lord is good, you've accepted his call, do expect to live differently. Expect your life to be changed, at least in these ways. You have a king. So ask yourself, am I serving the king? In our culture, we don't bow, right? In American culture, we don't bow. It's not something that we do. In some cultures today, people still bow. I had a bunch of Korean students who are constantly uh, talking about meeting their grandparents on formal occasions and bowing to their grandparents and how it was a big deal for them to get it right. And they were nervous about it sometimes because they were wearing special clothing, special circumstances. We do none of that, right? Grandparents, anybody bow to you recently because you're a grandparent? No. It's a firm no. But we should bow to our king. We should serve our king. We should let him make the choices for us. Let him build us up as living stones into his house. Because he is the king and we are not. So we should expect to live differently in that way. You're a priest. Do you proclaim God's excellency? Understand that when these words are written, there's no such thing as a Catholic church. And the ideas that we have about priests today didn't exist. 
So that's not the, ta- the type of priest we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who helps people to see God. Somebody who helps people to understand the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So do you see yourself that way? Men and women, young and old, if you have been called by Christ, do you see yourself this way? You're a holy people. What do you claim? Do you claim the darkness or do you claim the light? When people look at your life, what do they see? What do they know? Are you a student, first and foremost? Are you a gymnast? Are you a cycler? Are you a sports fan? Are you an Iowan or a Nebraskan? Are you a son or daughter of God? What do you claim? What do people claim for you because of what your life demonstrates? God showed you mercy. Do you repent? This is an interesting question to put after God showed you mercy. Let me explain. Repentance is about asking for forgiveness when we come to Christ. Absolutely. But repentance at its core is just turning away from sin, turning away from the things that we know that we should not do, especially as those are revealed to us in our life with Christ. And so in Romans, Paul tells us it is God's kindness, his mercy toward us that is supposed to lead us to repentance. And yes, repentance when we come to him for the first time, but you will fail, right? Tonight, probably after you leave here, Something will happen. You'll be angry. There'll be students wandering through crosswalks, right? And just not letting you drive through. And something might happen in your soul. A little anger, a little malice perhaps. Right? You will fail. And so repentance does not mean constantly asking God to forgive you of sin for the first time. It does mean constantly depending on Christ to get rid of the sin that you can't get rid of yourself. Helping you turn away from what you know you should not be walking toward. So he has shown you mercy. Do you repent? This is how Peter ends this section. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Those things that we choose for ourselves in our, in our weakness, they're not just bad choices. They're waging war against our soul. So don't run after things that will actively destroy you. Don't run after things that are going to make it harder for you to follow Christ. Instead, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That keep, that's an active ongoing command, right? Keep doing this perpetually because every day, Every day we are going to have to do this. Daily holy living is a matter of repeating day after day many of the same practices. So coincidentally, they're all point one again. Actively put away evil and repent when you fail. Fill your life with the truth so that you crave Christ, so that you're constantly filling yourself with him. Carefully examine your life in light of God's calling and listen to the leading of your king. All of these things we need to do every day because the truth is it's about faithfulness. It's about practicing Christ's presence faithfully, daily, doing it all again tomorrow. My wife and I talk about how the Christian life is like doing the dishes. You're never done doing the dishes, right? 
It's like doing the laundry. Right now, you might have entirely clean clothes at home, right? But you're wearing clothes. So you're just waiting to do more laundry. And this is the Christian life. Every day is another opportunity for you to depend on Christ. And every day is another opportunity for you to put away malice and for you to put away envy and slander and to fill yourself up with him and to crave him and to long for him and grow up in your salvation and be built up by him into a house where his Holy Spirit resides and where his name is praised. But every day will require you to acknowledge your king. And every day will require you to turn away from the things that you know you should turn away from and fill yourself with him. So this is what I offer to you from First Peter about how to live holy life every day. Every day it starts and every day it doesn't end until Christ returns. But that's not a sad thing. That means that you are walking with Jesus day by day. And that's the best thing. Let's pray. Holy God, I praise you for giving us yourself. I praise you and thank you, Lord, that we do not have to wait for eternity to begin to see your kingdom built here and now. Lord, you call us to be a temple, a holy house, Lord, where you dwell in us, where you act through us. I pray, Lord, that we would long for this. We would crave pure spiritual milk, that we would desire to be built up into you and that we would desire for you to build us up into something that can be used by you for your glory. Lord, help us when we're weak, when we don't want to put away evil things, when we want to cling to them. Lord, help us to be appropriately sad for those things that we've chosen to do that we should not do and for the brokenness of this world, knowing that you have something so much better prepared for us, that you're preparing a home for us that will last forever, where there'll be no tears. God, I pray that we would trust in you today, tomorrow, every day, to do just what you need to do in us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.